Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to True Crime, the podcast that helps you find new, emerging, and undiscovered true crime podcasts. I'm Greg, the host and curator of True Crime. Whoa, a show on a Tuesday. What is going on? Well, if you listened to yesterday's show, you heard me tell you that this is a holiday week and we're going to have episodes every day or at least almost every day. And we're going to have shows that maybe are a little different than what you're used to. I'm really excited for today's show because it's actually a radio show that's been re-edited and repurposed as a podcast and it's really fun. Today's episode is from World Around You's podcast. World Around You is a podcast that covers a wide variety of topics. And as I said before, they were originally radio shows that are now reformatted and released under the name World Around You's podcast. If you like this episode, make sure to check the show notes because this show is spelled a little bit differently than it sounds. And I'll put all the links as usual down in the episode description. So just click the link and it'll take you exactly where you need to go. All right, let's get this show on the road. Begin. All right, guys, I'm the world around you. And this is Pause for Four on Fresh Old FM. And this week, seeing as though it's Christmas, I thought I'd treat myself. So I've been sat on my left hand for about half an hour now before I started writing this one. And I thought it might be nice to explore something familiar, but different. This week, we'll be looking into the Graspy Flitcher. Before we get right into the meat of the Graspy Flitcher, though, I thought it'd be a good idea to recount what little backstory is known of the so-called Graspy Flitcher. And our Christmassy tale begins in the luckily named town of Turkey Creek in Arkansas, America. Born to strongly religious parents, Sarah, it's spelled like Sarah but without the H, um, I guess that's Sarah. Could be Sarah. I'm probably going to pick and choose between the two. Anyway, and her father, Michael Granger, on the 5th of October. So Claire would grow up to be the only surviving member of a paranormal event that still scares the people of Arkansas to this day. And it is from Claire that a lot of information has come for this episode, So, along with a few other little avenues of research. But a lot of it comes directly from Claire, a lady that went on to become a seamstress. And never made a single cent from the retelling of a story, which, to me, gives the Graspy Flitcher a lot of weight in the world of paranormal and or cryptozoological circles, depending on which side of the fence you're more so lean on after this, whether you think it's more paranormal or whether you think it's cryptozoological. Anyway, as a child... Now, you see, Claire, she'd be, um 
she'd regularly be taken to church, sometimes as frequently as three times a week. Now, I'm saying church, it's not a church as we would know it, as this occurred in the early 1900s. And without access to a vehicle, the Granger family tended to perform their own service in a beautifully described field of two tall trees atop a small mound. Now, I've got no idea if this mound has anything to do with the giant burial sites that we've covered in the previous weeks, but with what later happened, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some form of, um, like, burial there, you know, like a weird little thing going on, like, you know, like a link to the unusual burial mounds. Saying that, though, these mounds usually left the grounds around in lush vegetation, and this field only had two trees, so I'm guessing it was probably just a naturally formed small hill. Now, with neither Sarah or Michael being real priests, as in Catholic or Christian priests, they'd never received a blessing or been ordained. It's difficult to work out exactly what these sermons were or what went on in, you know, during them, because there's no real record of it or method that they did follow. Is it a methodology when they, they follow instructions sort of thing? But Claire distinctly remembers receiving communion from an early age and claims that instead of a rice paper wafer that we're familiar with today, or even a piece of bread, the matriarch of the family, Sarah, would hand young Claire a piece of bark, freshly peeled from the larger of the two trees. Which is pretty fucking weird, isn't it, straight off the bat? This is why this is a Christmas episode, it's, it's, a, it's an odd one. And it just gets weirder. Like, Claire describes the taste as bland, as you'd expect. So I, I guess they got that part right, because the, like, the body of Christ, the wafer, don't taste of anything, in it. But, again, having neither of the parents being ordained at this point, they are just eating a piece of tree, like it's not really been blessed about. Um, Claire described the pieces of bark to be about an eighth of an inch thick and about an inch in length, which is pretty small, but... Still, I've never chewed bark, and if you think about the things that do eat bark, they tend to have, like, large incisors, and the bodies are attuned to eating that sort of material. You know, like deer, rabbits, squirrels, uh, and they all eat a bit of bark, don't they? And, and after seeing an artist's interpretation of Claire, I reckon she would have found it relatively easy, because she's got this goofy-looking smile, which which feels cruel to say, to be fair, but um, after what happened to her, it... But, because it was, it was a pretty, like... It was a bad night, but it seems fair to say, anyway, that she's, she's got big teeth at the point I'm making, anyway. It'd be interesting to see if a human normally adapts like this, or if it was just a weird coincidence, though. So, as she started to grow these massive teeth because her mum was force-feeding a bark, and her dad was force-feeding a bark, or does she just naturally happen to have big teeth, perfect for chewing through bark? Don't know if the parents had bark, I'd assume they did, if they'd been chewing bark all their lives, but fuck knows. The sermons themselves would last from half an hour to an hour, and, uh, sorry, they'd last from half an hour to an hour and a half long, I mean, fucking notes are a bit scribbly, and uh, the parents would regularly read from their holy book, and now again, I can't find any confirmation that this was a Bible, and the stories that Claire recounts are odd, the Bible-ish, but almost sound like they've come from someone who is aware of tropes or tales in the Bible, but hasn't actually read them themselves. Weirdly enough, they have a version of the Great Flood that she mentions. Now, we always have Noah in an episode, so this story I thought would be just as good as any to get me point across. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but here's the gist of the story of Noah according to the stories Claire was told on her holy mound. After waiting for 30 years for a change in the weather, Noah visited a large hill. Not within a mountain range, it was the only hill known to the people in the land. Yearly, many people would walk up and down this hill in the hope of finding the sign promised by the voice. See, it's, it's already weird, isn't it? Like, it's, 
It's not by God, it's, it's by the voice. Anyway, uh, Noah was a farmer growing grains that had been gifted to his family generations before the voice. Noah's family were viewed as the holy family. Claire, Sarah sorry, always told Claire Noah was one of the so-called quote-unquote listeners. Now I'll try and stop interrupting myself as because I know it's going to upset the flow of the story, but as far back as Noah could remember, he always had crops outshone by the local farmers, and he'd become angry, you know, he'd got pissed off and jealous. After multiple conversations with different spiritual men in the area, Noah set off for the hill. He travelled the mound for 40 days and 40 nights until he caught um, himself up in a storm. There was a storm of uh, winds, lightning and heavy hailstone, Claire says. A, a truly biblical storm. Trees fell and were collected by the resulting landslide that covered all the arable land around the mound with new ground, making the mound smaller and unveiling these large rocks. Noah explored the newly cleaned mound and found a hole, a very deep hole that he entered. Now, I know I said I'd stop interrupting, but that seems fucking weird, doesn't it? That he could just go down a hole, just a bit of, you know, like a fucking spot a pothole in, in ancient times. Uh, did they have rope? Was rope a thing back then like that? Could they, did they have harnesses and that, you know? Anyway, he goes deep into this hole and gets back out again with no explanation whatsoever about how he does it. But I guess Claire was only a kid at the time anyway, so why would she have questioned these stories? Clearly, though, they're stuck in her head, though. In this hollowed-out pothole, Noah is confronted by a thought, and that thought is a warning. The storm destroyed everything he'd ever known, and there was a worse storm to come. Noah believed the warning and fled the cave. Eventually, Noah got to the bottom of the mound and discovered there was a patch of land completely untouched by the landslide, somehow protected by the felled trees, like they'd built a natural dam to keep this portion of land safe. His wife and three children were there, his two daughters and his son. As they embraced, a loud, a loud, booming voice spoke from nowhere, saying, If you wish to survive the warning, you must kill your son and spread his blood across the trees. The blood will keep your family safe. Ever a family man, you know, Noah slaughtered his son in front of his own mother and sisters, which is pretty fucked, but I think that's where they've gotten two Bible stories mixed up with one another in it like i can't remember the name of the other bible story but isn't there a bible story where some old man gets told to kill his son by god and he goes to do it and god's like whoa, whoa, whoa pack it in i think anyway it's christmas week and i've already gotten lost so let's have a christmas tune uh, this is classified's newest song and it's called the bells are ringing feel a bit dirty in it saying this but Join us on Patreon, guys. Like, you know what I mean? If, you, if you're listening to this and you thought, you know what, I've really enjoyed this. Like, I keep getting messages off people going, this is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. If you really feel that way, isn't it? Like, try my book. You can get that. You can get a couple of them now on Amazon. Uneducated Guesses and How to Date a Table, an Antique Table, a Lover's Guide. Or, you know, chuck us a couple of quid on Patreon. I'll, I'll appreciate it. it. It'll go a long way. Anyway, let's get back to the show. So... With no mentioning of creatures or even of a dove or raven collecting twigs, it's a strange interpretation of Noah and his ark, innit? But, see, I don't really think that these bi and tri-weekly sermons were really to teach Claire about the story of Noah or whatever the fuck you would call that story. It seemed like it was to prime her for an existence that most people wouldn't even have nightmares about. Like a life of what seems to be torture. Bark wasn't the only thing that the Grangers would ingest at these services. Almost like they had only ever overheard what happened at a mass. They would also do things with blood. 
Uh, without being ordained or maybe just through being somewhat simple as people or maybe fucking evil like the concept of transubstantiation went right over the heads of these Arkansans Arkansans, Arkansians people from Arkansas anyway for those of you that didn't have it you know, uh, in Catholic school or weren't forced to go to Catholic school transubstantiation is when the priest turns your wafers, vimto and wine into the body and blood of Jesus of, you know, of Christ now, I can't really remember why this isn't considered magic, but ironically, by doing it incorrectly, the Grangers are alleged to have unleashed magic upon their own lineage, which is terrifying to think like that's, <laughs> I think that's even possible without knowing you're doing. So, without transubstantiation, the, um, where were, where were Sarah and Michael getting the body and blood of Christ from? You know, it's a genuine question, I can feel you're asking that. Well, we already know that the body of Christ was the tree bark, and if you haven't guessed it yet, the blood of Christ was being harvested from, go on, the local wildlife. Owls, bear cubs, squirrels, songbirds, bobcats, mink, elk. Just some of the things Michael would gather and tether to regularly harvest from. Claire claims that the animals weren't merely hunted, as the family were stoutly vegetarian as part of their religious practices. So the animals would be trapped and tethered to trees away from the mound, and before mass, the matriarch would order Michael to gather the blood, which would mean sometimes bludgeoning the larger animals and dragging them, trusted up, ironically like a Christmas turkey, up to the holy hill. The smaller tree would then be used as an anchor point for the creature. After a couple readings from the mind of Sarah, Michael would present the holy blade. In the same way that like an altar boy presents his arse to a, uh, uh, regular intervals to a priest, with what I imagine is the, the same look of, well, what was a look of fear in his eyes, but maybe not, mate, because they've just all become so desensitised to the fucking weird shit that's going on. And that's both for fucking Michael Granger and for your regular altar boy. Anyway, the dagger or the knife, she never says more than holy blade. But that'd be used to split the skin of Sarah's hand, like she'd squeeze it. I'm guessing she'd she'd squeeze the blade with a bare hand, and then she'd fucking drip the blood into the eyes of the creature. But that's not really the oddest part. The blade would then be handed to Michael, who would regularly reopen his old wounds, and Claire would do the same. And she says that when she was young, her parents would take it in turns in teaching her how to mutilate her own body, like they were doing. Now. This being the early quarter of the 20th century, I can't imagine blood diseases were commonly known about, but saying that, I bet there's not a whole lot of research into what blood diseases you contract by, you, you are contracted by squeezing the blood of live animals into your open wounds, because that's exactly what these religious fanatics would do. And according to what little records there are of, of this, they, they were fine, mate. They seemed quite healthy. Like, fine in the sense that they didn't ever attend a hospital or speak to a doctor. But it is worth bearing in mind both parents were dead before Claire's 22nd birthday. Like, there's no conclusive evidence that it was a... It was their ritualistic backyard blood transfusions. As, unfortunately, the bodies were never completely found like they were never truly discovered at least not all of them anyway parts of them were but the larger parts and obviously a few smaller parts were missing and this is where claire claims to have the uh lost the lower length of her arm she claims it's not always been missing from the elbow which again i've not seen an actual picture of her arm but it makes out that she'd lost her arm from her elbow but originally she'd only lost it from like halfway between her wrist and elbow and um like from around four inches past her elbow it got described by what i presume is the guy that interviewed her 
like meat wise anyway uh, and some of the bone was left exposed continuing a little further towards where her wrist would have been and this is this is what this, this damage was caused basically see it's it's hard to follow the fucking this damage was caused by the graspy flitcher and this oh, it's it's just fucking weird me anyway let's have another song this is tabernacle by royster 59 Honestly, I really don't get where they get the name from. I get that it's ripped off a body part, so graspy, that kind of makes sense, because it's, you know, grabbing stuff, it's grasping at things, in it? And it, it keeps grabbing, I, I guess. But I don't know what flitcher is, like, I've looked up the word flitcher and there's nothing. It, I don't get what it references, or, and it's a shame, because, like, Bigfoot, you know where you stand with Bigfoot? Mothman, clues in the title, but the graspy flitcher... You haven't got a fucking clue, have you? But I'll share what I've found with you about it. Now, the graspy flitcher is said to speak directly into your mind with a deep voice. It doesn't just give you commands, though. See, Claire claims that sometimes, especially during the early encounters with the big graspy, it'd just be like hearing your own passing thoughts initially. Thoughts like, it's getting dark. Was that a hawk or a crow? Or whilst the impression of the creature was left in their minds, but... Even then, like, what does leaving an impression in your mind mean? The interviewer declared compared it to a, to a vision in your mind's eye, like how if you remember something, you can see it all in that darkness that's above your eyes, I guess. You know, like, you can see what you can see, and then above what you can see is just fucking darkness. And below what you can see into the sides is just all darkness. Maybe they can see it in that bit. Maybe they see the graspy flitcher in there. I don't, I don't know. But... A lot of the time, it's 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 all black in it around your eyes, but sometimes like I see stuff in that darkness around my eyes, in it like memories and that, or you know ideas. So maybe that's what they're talking about. Maybe it's the same thing. Now Claire claims that sometimes that bellowing voice would make demands such as release that creature, and after ignoring it for a while, she says within a couple of weeks, they'd began to realise some of these injured an uh, sorry, they'd began to release some of these injured animals back into the wild, which is pretty fucked. Again, pretty fucked. I'm, I'm guessing they'd all died because they wouldn't stand much of a chance of surviving against predators' arrivals after being bled religiously for months. But I mean, in humans, I think it takes 28 days for your blood to refill your body or at least regenerate. So maybe they were all right. They're probably traumatised, the fucking squirrels and that fucking ruined beyond belief in the minds. But physically, most likely they were fine. Or at least, you know, we can pretend they are to make ourselves feel better at, at Christmas. Anyway, the closest thing we have to a description of the graspy flitcher is what Claire describes it as. Which is a humanoid creature in the sense it was bipedal. The skin is described as dark with uh, short, dense hair. So... Well, it was more so described as in the, the the skin of the face was like dark, dense hair, like short, dense hair, which sounds a bit Bigfootish, right? Except it was only about six foot tall, with a face that seemed to be long, not snouted or ape-like, just thin and long, like tall. Imagine the symbol that they use for Rockefeller Records, but like that makes a diamond. But then push your hands closer together, so it kind of resembles like the aerial, the aerial view of a gravy boat, mate. Which, that and taking place in Turkey Creek kind of keeps the episode Christmassy. That might be the only Christmassy references we really get in the whole episode. Uh, and oh, and it's got growths as well, 
uh, the graspy flitch has got growths on the side of its face that are compared to a deer's ears with um, eyes with the bright green irises a human-like mouth with constantly visible large front teeth buck teeth and it is honestly it's sounding a lot like a deer seen from a weird angle like if you was to like imagine if you woke up and saw a deer looking down like dead into your eyes it, like that sort of face i guess i mean it's weird that this has buck teeth and claire had the massive teeth as well i mean take from that what you will like but then when you remember it's fucking six foot tall you wouldn't think if a deer was le leering over you wouldn't think oh fucking oh that's a six foot tall man with the head of a deer would you doesn't make sense and even then when i've not even told you about its arms yet me its arms are supposed to reach past its hips which is kind of normal my arms reach past me hips but with proportionally long fingers included in the arm length though claire admits they may have been claws as they never truly seen them bend or be used. So it might just have these fucking stumpy arms with claws at the end, mate, which is fucked. I have not ever heard of something like this, realistically. I mean, there are stories in folklore of creatures that resemble deer humans. Like, I think one was called the Wendigo, and it's got a buck's skull as a head or an elk's skull as a head. But the thought of one that isn't dead or made up of bones seems to be singular to, to Claire and her account of what happened. Unfortunately, though, as well, Claire is the only account we have of the the Graspy Flitcher, um, and the only witness that we have to this creature at all. So, not because they've been, you know, not because the other witnesses have been poisoned by the big they or been shot. They've not shot themselves in the head a few times. They they've not even starved to death at the bottom of a lake attached to some concrete. They've. It's purely because everyone else apparently has been torn apart by the Graspy Flitcher. The victims of the creature was Sarah, uh, Sarah, Claire's mother, her father Michael and Claire's fiancé William. Some people believe that Claire was responsible for the murders, but it was never really an investigation as such. The event was sort of ignored and was literally impossible to find any evidence of a news story for me when I was researching this. It's purely just going off what Claire said and there, was, there wasn't really anything else from the time. So we only have Claire's account. So... Anyway, we'll have a song and then we'll get into what happened the night of August 14th, 1923. It's another Christmas song because it's fucking Christmas week. This is an older one this time and you probably all know it. And it's got some deer in it as well, reindeer mentioned in it, so it's kind of fitting uh, to the story at least. This is Weird Owls, the night Santa went crazy. Yeah, right, man, I won't say too much of your song because I know that it's annoying, but now I understand why people actually do this, innit? I thought one of the show to grow realistically all i need you to do is share a link to this show around or the show that you've enjoyed the most send it to your mum your nan your sister your mates i mean it doesn't have to be a woman you could send it to your brother or your uncle as well you know just just spread it around a bit mate that's the best thing you can do for us Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So, set the scene, you know, for the events of the Graspy Flitcher. It's sometime after 4pm on Tuesday the 14th of August, 1923. And it's weird that we can limit it down to something so precise, but... 
That time frame comes because William, the fiancé of Claire, worked in a local shop and had finished working as normal at three, which seems strange immediately because you you don't really think early 1900s and think shift patterns, do you? But that's not the least believable part of the story, though, I guess. So, it's early evening or late at night on a Tuesday, and it's time for the Granger family's first sermon of the week. So, Claire claims it was William's... Uh, quote-unquote baptism into their religion. He'd been attending the sermons for the past four years and the family were ready to welcome him into the religion and he was the only outsider to ever even be privy to these services at all, possibly the only other person to even know that these events occurred. And now, as it was a baptism, Sarah claimed that they would need the blood of a fresh creature. Luckily, Michael had captured an elk that was yet to receive its first cuts, though it had apparently received Sarah's blood in its eye to bless it. To ready it for the service, I guess, because I I guess that's how they they bless the creatures. I don't, again, I don't know why. Why would you squeeze your own blood into the eye of the animal? It just seems morose. But that's fucking what she would do. I don't know if it was a male elk or a female elk, but it's got to have been a young elk, can't it? Because he fucking, they could keep it trusted up to a tree, like I said at the start, and they fucking, did, like, how did he get it there? It's either got to be a young elk or fucking Michael had ungodly fucking superhuman strength, because to drag or otherwise fucking force a fully grown wild elk up a hill... That'd be fucking hard for anyone, mate, let alone some mentalist who regularly self-harms himself with a dirty knife. I can't imagine his body was up to scratch. And that's not even supposed to be a pun, you know, I fucking... Anyway, the the other animal that was used in this um, service for the baptism was the so-called... Oh, fucking... Divine Bobcat. So, no idea why it was divine, never got explained. Maybe they'd had it for a while, maybe it was more so lucky than divine because it hadn't died from all the bloodletting fuck knows logic goes out of the window with this week now what happened next is fucking mental if it wasn't already you know it's already fucking weird after the usual rigmarole of sarah spouting some nonsensical ad-libbed biblical story or two it came time to baptize william after all he, he couldn't partake in the body and blood if he wasn't a member of the church the baptism was relatively similar to a regular baptism No pervert in a frock, but just Sarah with a jug of water. Apparently, though, the water smelled somewhat potent, at least according to Claire, which fucking makes me think it could have been wee, or watered down wee, but going off all of the stuff in this, it was probably diluted blood or something, I don't know. Anyway, the wetness was poured over the fella's head, and and that's it, he's in. That is literally all the baptism was, pouring the fucking juice on his face. Um, Nothing too special about it. It isn't until towards the end of the Mass and what happened in the night where it it actually gets interesting. William witnesses Sarah squeeze the blade and leak her blood into the eyes of both the elk and the bobcat. Then they begin to cut themselves. Claire was tasked with making the first incision on William as, as they were to be wed and she did it. Without an issue as well, she says she didn't think anything of it, nothing untoward at all. That's completely normal, my dad did it to me, my mum did it to me, I'm going to do it to William. Fucked. Um, you know, that's, that's I guess, in this religion, this crazy fucking three-man, well, now four-man religion, that's what they do to each other, innit, I guess. Um, now, the rest of the sermon goes on without a hitch, no problems, but towards the end, Claire claims there was a conversation between Sarah and nothing, like a change in the usual monologue, 
as if Sarah was answering someone or something. Now this seemed to fester in Claire's mind up until the point where she claimed she was also answering the voice. Which is where that comes back again, the voice returns, which is fucked, man, that was in the story of Noah. Well, they're, they're fucking bizarre retelling of Noah. Um, which is interested in itself, because if this had took off, this that could have been the story of Noah that everyone knows, do you know what I mean? Because the story of Noah just got changed from the story of Gilgamesh, the epic of Gilgamesh supposedly became the tale of Noah, and it just fucking changed, he's done it every few hundred years, so... Who knows, fucking Noah could have been potholing instead of building an ark. I mean, it's unlikely, and I don't know what happens with all the animals and that. Like, I still don't get the animals. There's a link to animals within the story, but fuck knows. Um, anyway, the, Claire starts noticing the voice anyway, and at this point she noticed that Billy Boy had broken out into a sweat and had started to shiver. Now, I'm going to imagine that fucking young William was shivering and and fucking sweating from having the blood of two different animals poured into his open wounds. I'm guessing these had developed a tolerance, you know, fucking Claire, Sarah and Michael Granger must have developed some form of tolerance to it all because they'd been doing it for years. Like, so, and you would, I would presume, if you're going to survive it, your body defends itself and you, maybe they had a really fucking strong blood that could fight off any infection. Maybe people were just built differently 100 years ago. Fuck knows. Anyway, Claire was trying to comfort William and she says that the voice, well, she claims that the voice started to become stronger and that's when the creature appeared from the branches of the larger tree. Landing on the floor around near them, to which Claire claims they all turned towards the creature and stared at it as it spoke to them. Claire is said to have become emotional at this point in recounting the story, at least according to the interviewer, uh, and as if she was fucking reliving all this trauma. But that's, I think, even that's weird. Like, why wouldn't she have broken down when she's talking about fucking slicing open her own fiancé so that her parents could drip the blood of a fucking so-called holy bobcat, sorry, divine bobcat into her and a fucking elk? Like, it's mad. Like, why is the part, why, why is that the part where she cries? Why does she cry when she remembers this creature falling from the tree? I mean, it, it makes the creature seem scarier. Um... I don't understand how it's not already broke her to, to talk about it again. She's got to be fucking hard as nails, mate. Because I was creeped out long before I got to this part in the story. But, I mean, that's just me. I mean, let me know what you think of all this, you know, in the Discord and that. But the whole leaking blood into the eye of the animals got me. That's where I was like, this is the fucking Christmas episode. It's, it's just that detail of it that makes me think that whatever it was they thought they were doing, they must have genuinely believed in it. Because that bit there just seems so unnecessary. And in case you were wondering, there is no actual details as to, to why they were doing this, why they were doing the bloodletting, other than it was just to practice their religion. Anyway, so there's this six foot tall deer man, again, which confuses me as to why it's not just called the deer man, or even just fucking demon, you know, like demon with an extra E, but... I guess it was a traumatising event for them and I, I quite enjoy marketing and that in it so I mean it would make more sense if they were going to try and sell cuddly toys I guess to call it Dayman or something but you know as it was I, I don't get why the locals decided to name that name it that name the creature that the fucking Graspy Flitcher uh, and, and it wasn't even the family that named it so it's just so bizarre it's as if the story was around and then the story got removed. It's, it's still, that's not the thing to focus on anyway. 
What we should focus on is that there was this lanky monster with a furry deer-like face and potential claws and maybe, well, definitely less intimidatingly, you know, fucking massive buck teeth. Now, Sarah, brandishing the holy blade, leapt at the creature, only to be cast to the ground by a swing of its arm, tearing the woman's face as she screamed, and that's a sound that Claire would regularly recollect against the will, which again, sounds like trauma. Uh, but, you know, I'm not a doctor, but fucking... It's, I, don't, I can't imagine how you could just sit down with this woman and talk to her about all this and watch her break down. Then again, she stayed so calm, apparently, up until this point. But maybe the interviewer said that, so he didn't... The, he or she, imagine it's a he because it's the early 1900s, didn't just come across as a dickhead, like for fucking re-traumatising and making a live through it all. Anyway, Michael supposedly sat completely dumbstruck, staring at Claire as Claire was tending to William, and he dived at her and tried to pin her down to which Sarah stood up and tussled with her husband. It was at this point that the graspy flitcher made its move, and that move was a quick dash to the incapacitated William, and he torn a hole straight through his cheek, slicing his face open, at least according to Claire. With that then, the fucking graspy flitcher disappeared down the holy hill into the darkness. Now, if that happened to you, no one would believe you. They'd think, you're fucking mental. Holy shit, what have you done to, f to your fiancé? And what are you on about? Why have you got an elk? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's fucked... Now, it's hard enough to carry a person, but to also control said elk, uh, so to control a, a, a wild elk, which is tethered, so it's got some form of fucking reins, a fully grown bloke, a woman, and try to compete with whatever the fuck just occurred, like, in your head, that, that all seems a little hard to work out, like, what the fuck do you do in that moment, but I guess adrenaline got them through it, so maybe Michael and Claire were running on fumes at this point, but maybe Claire doesn't remember it all properly because the adrenaline was just fucking coursing through her. It's this disbelief that made me consider a couple of things, though, for example, the diet of the creatures in the area. Now, remembering last week where we touched on the stoned ape theory from, um... From Terence McKenna, last week, we, we briefly went into that a little bit. Now, and the, obviously the power of magic mushrooms. And I was wondering if it was possible that the elk could have ingested some magic mushrooms and that psilocybin had been coursing through the blood of the elk and in turn been put directly into all of their bloodstreams. Now, it doesn't explain a mass hallucination that they all shared, but in reality, there is only Claire's account to bear in mind. They'd survived everything bloodwise so far, but the bobcat was also held in a high regard for some reason, and families on the whole usually enjoy testing the boyfriends and girlfriends of their children, especially when they're new. So I looked into if bo bobcats could have a particularly dangerous blood, and obviously a fucking dead end. No one's ever tested to see if you inject bobcat blood into a person. Does it fucking burn them? Except, though, which might be a push, but fuck it, um, they can contract feline AIDS, so I guess they could have been infecting themselves with bobcat blood strewn with feline AIDS, it's a long shot in it, but could it also be that they did the unusual activity of mixing their bloods, so they'd mix the blood of, like say you've got the family member's blood all on that knife, so it's all, Claire's blood has come from both Sarah and Michael, so realistically how could they infect her? But then they've mixed the blood of Sarah, Michael and Claire into William. 
William really didn't take well to it. And then you've also got the fact that they've mixed bobcat blood and elk blood within all of themselves, which I don't know, is that is that part of the reason as to why something so strange happened? I mean, I'm fucking talking about this like it's normal, mate, but that seems different to what would normally happen there. But if the bobcat blood usually burnt them or left them in pain or something, then it would make sense that Sarah would then describe it as the divine bobcat because then it would mean they use it less, so it hurts them less, and and that's why it became holy or special, because that, that could explain that away, it doesn't explain the way the quick deaths, because like, fucking cats can live with feline aids, after looking it up, cats can live a whole entire life with feline aids, and be perfectly fine, and, and they, they were all fucking dead before the next morning, mate, so it's, it doesn't, it doesn't add up, Anyway, I looked in I looked up in forums as well where the magic mushrooms are common in Arkansas. And apparently they do grow there. They're pretty hard to come by, they're quite rare. But unlike in the in the UK, supposedly, the the most common time to find them in Arkansas is late summer, which is like August is more so midsummer, I would say, but I guess it's a possibility that the elk had then ate these mushrooms just purely by chance, then they caught the elk a couple days before or a week before, whenever it was, we didn't really find out when they caught the elk. And then they fucking let its blood relatively soon after they'd fucking ate the mushrooms. I don't, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to fucking work out. It's all a possibility, it's, it's, it's just possibilities at this point. After all, like, how likely is it in the first place that there'd be a family of nutters doing this at all? Is it, is it, could it be nature's weird way if they say, like, fucking nature controls everything, you know? And, and, so could this been of nature's or mother nature's or whatever you want to call that fucking an entity of some sort? Could it have been their weird way of making all of this stop? I know that implies there's a greater force at play, but it's it's all just so fucking mental. Anyway, let's have a break from this, and we'll come back to the second leg of the story in a minute. Tell everyone you used to be a bouncer, but after having children, you couldn't keep up with a job because of the hours. Then, show them some prepared photographs of young children from your wallet or purse. If it all goes well and you spend the night with them, you can tell them not to worry about waking the children, because they're not even yours anyway. When leaving the smoking area, collect the dimps from the surrounding area off of the floors and tabletops, stash them in one of your clear polythene sandwich bags out your pocket and carry on with your evening. This will be a great way to subtly impress women in their early 20s with brightly coloured hair or young 20-year-old men with shiny wire-framed glasses as they'll all think you care about the environment. Always have a lighter on you. It's a great way to make friends and seem helpful and friendly. But we're not trying to make friends this week. We're we're trying to impress people. So after lighting someone's cigarette or having received your lighter back from a pair of hotties, give yourself a smiley on the back of your arm. Make sure you never do it in the same spot as you might get an infection. They'll think you're hard as fuck and feel safe around you. If it comes to having a tactical... Make sure you do it from a distance. Throwing up directly into a toilet bowl is fucking child's play, but from four feet away or into an ashtray in the centre of a table, that takes precision. Bring your children with you. If they're particularly small or young, conceal them in a large handbag or under a baggy sweater. Some drinkers may be jealous of your bond with your child and how much you share with one another, but... Others, the ones you're trying to impress, they'll be overwhelmed by your connection to your child and how little you don't want to be without them. 
And that's the end of this week's Here's How. So in the next leg of the Graspy Flitches epic, it's it's a short leg really, a lot like with other mysteries and cryptozoological occurrences, as it starts to get complicated or interesting every time, that the facts become a bit fast and loose. All we know for sure is that Claire was found in her home surrounded by pieces of her father, mother and fiancé. She claims that not long after their return, they all began to be violently sick and bleeding from their ears, eyes, nose, mouths, orifices basically. But realistically, we know at some point they were also bleeding from their forearms, the knees, the, the general legs, torsos, arse cheeks, pretty much everywhere as their entire corpses were never found. So... Whilst they were being a bit poorly, you know, they were visited again by the alleged Graspy Fletcher, who tore each of them limb from limb before escaping with their body parts, even about a quarter of Claire's arm, which was later amputated up to the elbow. She was jointed like a a chicken, really, which, again, that will be a Christmas reference for you. And I guess that healthcare wasn't great then, and she was fucking lucky to survive what had happened. To be fair, if you got attacked now by some fucking demonic creature that looked like a deer with fucking claws past its knees and it rips your family to shreds and all you lose is a bit of your arm, you've done fucking well anyway. Fuck healthcare. You've done well to survive that. So it's it's even to go on to become a seamstress, a one-armed seamstress, is fucking mental. They must have had machines or something. Like, well, I don't... Maybe she just worked in the factory. Maybe she. Maybe it's a fucking. I don't know. I don't know how she could have been a seamstress. To be honest, I mean that seems a little bit unlikely. But there must have been a machine or something she could use. I mean she could have used her elbow, I guess, to push the fabric with her hand through through a, a machine. I guess. Oh, fuck knows. Um, some people believe Claire killed them all. I don't know if that's what you're thinking. I don't know what I'm thinking. Or maybe I think it seems a bit more likely. To be honest, that. Maybe one of them went mental and tried to kill them all and Claire in turn managed to defend herself after what seems to have been a fucking lifetime of torture. I think I feel most sorry though for William. He just wanted to get his end away with a religious girl and end up embroiled in a fucking bloody massacre. Authorities supposedly discovered the animals, mostly dead as Michael kept the location a secret from the family as part of his role. Weirdly enough, there was stories that the tree that provided the bark of Christ also died like withered away now that seems like one of those weird mysterious things that always gets added on to the end of a story like this but uh, i studied horticulture in it so if you do remove like you'd have to remove a solid ring of like two or three inches of bark from around the tree but that is enough to kill a tree so you got to bear maybe they could only reach so high up the tree and they just kept taking it or they maybe they were taking it from round the tree to try and spare the tree. I, I don't know. Um, like, because removing the bark damages the phloem and xylem, which is what moves the water around the the plant. And but the bark also protects the tree against infection and in the weather. So if you've removed all of that, I mean, there were only thin slices that removed. So it seems unlikely. But if these fanatics had been doing this to the same tree for fucking how old was Claire? Twenty. 22 so for 22 years at least doing this and and it also at the same time then stopped doing the bloodletting near its roots maybe the lack of nutrients like the extra nutrients from the blood was keeping the tree alive even though it had less uptake i fucking i'm not sure mate I, 
it's just it probably just one of them weird things that happened it, it probably just a fluke maybe the tree just fucking died like, I, it, it's something to like that lack of nutrients coming in is something to factor into its death but I mean, I can't be too sure in it. And I wish I had more to tell you about the Graspy Flitcher. I really do, but there isn't much else out there on it. It's never been seen before or since. There's not really much talk of a of a deer man knocking about. I mean, you've got the um, the Loveland Frogmen of Ohio, which are these weird little frog humanoids. Um, you've got the fucking Suscumbian Space Penguins. They were in... Well, Suscumbia, which is... I think that's even, that might be near uh, Ohio, I think, or Utah or something. I can't quite remember where that was. But they're almost humanoid creatures. They look like little people in, um, like, not little people as in, like, the medical thing. Just, like, literally, like, two foot tall. Like, penguins in space gear, basically. But, like, America's full of weird humanoid creatures. Like, you got fucking Bigfoot, mate. I could have done the week, uh, fuck it, I could do a few weeks of shows on Bigfoot. I mean, you've got Bigfoot all around the world, though, as well. You don't really have Tuscumbian space penguins all around the world. And you don't have fucking the Loveland, Ohio frogman all around the world. Albeit that kind of also kind of sounds like a grey wearing jeans, which is fucked. But who knows, me? Who knows? Anyway, that's it from me. I'm the world around you. This was Pause for Thought on Threshold FM. Fucking Merry Christmas, guys. Stay on today for, you've got HDR at four, Jimmy will be about at seven with Jim will mix it, and tomorrow you've got fucking soil, mate. Fucking week ten, I think we're going to be live on YouTube, you can watch our faces, me under the cupboard, Jimmy in his room, fucking something to look forward to. Episode ten of Truth Seeking tomorrow night, I'll see you in a bit. Thanks again for listening to True Crime by Indie Drop-In Network. If you would like to nominate a true crime podcast to be featured, just send me a tweet at Indie Drop-In. I'd also love to hear if one of our featured podcasts is now your favorite show. Indie Drop-In survives off ad revenue and listener donations. If you would like to contribute, please consider buying me a coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Indie Drop-In. If you look at the very bottom of the episode description, I put a link in there to make it really easy. Indie Drop-In has many other shows that you also might like. Just go to IndieDropIn.com. All right, see you next week.